Welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts, and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges and where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. I am Heather Hansen O'Neill. I am your host, and today's quote is by Daniel Goleman. For leaders, the first task in management has nothing to do with leading others. Step one poses the challenge of knowing and managing oneself. I love this one, and I think it's totally going to apply to our topic today. I have a fantastic guest for you from uh, rather far away. Daniel Tolson is a former Australian champion athlete and a business coach specializing in emotional intelligence. The road to getting there was never easy for someone who grew up having a linear sequential learning disability. He knew he wanted to do more. So he pushed through those barriers and did not allow disability to stop him. That experience of creating his breakthrough and sustaining it set him up for a series of career highs. Now I could go on and I could list them, but I would much prefer Daniel to come on and share them himself. Hello and welcome, Daniel. How are you today? Heather, g'day. I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. So Give us a little bit more of the background since I did such a, a short bio for you. Tell us your backstory a little bit first. Well, I was one of those kids at school that the teachers didn't know what to do with. Mm. So they took me and they put me in a special class called the Space Lab. And I thought the Space Lab for, was for the kids who were going to be astronauts and they'd be <laughs> intelligent and they'd go to outer space. But uh, the Space Lab was for the kids who are off the planet. Oh. So that's where the teachers put me and it was uh, difficult for me because I didn't really know what was holding me back. I had a, a series of challenges. I was having breathing difficulties and uh, my bronchioles had collapsed and I'd had developed uh, a lot of asthma. I had allergies and I would run and my legs would collapse and then I couldn't see and I was having bleeding noses and I'm having guitar lessons and I'm making mistakes and then they realize I'm tone deaf and then they diagnose me with linear sequential learning disability and then they find the platelets in my cranium are pushing down on the hemispheres of the brain and this is causing a lot of pressure in the head and that's causing the nosebleeds. So for the first uh, 15 years of my life, at least, was very, very challenging. But um, mm. that was just the start of some big challenges that followed in the next five years. Wow. So, you know, I'm probably jumping ahead quite a bit, but how did you combat that? How did you keep moving forward when all of that was going on? Well, having these learning disabilities... I think ignorance is bliss. You don't really know what's wrong with you. But I had this a little bit of an attitude towards what was going on. And I knew I was intelligent. So I was approaching life. I was approaching school with, hey, I'm smart, mm -hmm. but I'm just not getting recognized for my intelligence. So although I'm getting these D's on my reports, these F's, I'm thinking to myself, I have this intelligence and people can't measure it. I don't think I'm the stupid one here. Maybe I don't have a learning disability. Maybe they've got a teaching disability. <laughs> so I had this little bit of attitude about it. So I, I was challenged. I can't say that I wasn't. But I didn't lose a lot of belief in myself because I knew that I had something special. It shined through from time to time, but they just couldn't measure it at school. And my mum would remind me, she said, you know, Daniel, you're born 
for greatness. Daniel, dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose. Dare to have it known. And she would reinforce that into me. So I had a um, I had a pretty solid backing. <laughs> and she just <laughs> said to me, Daniel, um, you know, just do your best, and that's all you can do at school. And then once you finish then go and pursue what's important to you. So, yes, it was challenging, but I did have a good belief system to help me through. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. So what advice would you give to someone out there listening who doesn't have someone saying, you know, be your best, Daniel, you're going to succeed? What, what, do you, what would you say to them? Can they create that voice for themselves? Well, the first thing, I'd just be... Uh, bloody honest with him, I'd say brace for impact. Mm. <laughs> it was, I was cabin crew for many years. And one of the things that we had to do in an emergency landing was we would have to yell out to the customers, brace for impact, brace, brace, brace. <laughs> Look, you're going to have uh, challenges in life. And it's no secret that you're going to have to go from challenge to challenge to challenge. And I think really what got me through a lot of that was having that belief that this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. This too shall pass. And I knew that I was going to get out of primary school and I was going to go to high school. I knew I was going to leave high school and move on. I knew I'd have to go to school at 8.30 in the morning, but I knew I'd be free from that prison at eight at 3.30 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So this too shall pass and everything like these learning disabilities. Yes, I was still challenged with them uh, till age 32. I was still challenged them with at that stage, but eventually at age 42 now, all of that passed. Interesting. So the physical part went away or you learned to deal with it? Almost. Okay. So I'm, I'm coming up 42 in a couple of months and it's taken me 41 years to what I would call fix my hips. My hips have been clicking my whole life. So the ligaments would click backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, and it would create incredible pain. But there was nothing that could be done. So I just had to be a trooper and I had to keep moving forward. And I knew that I'd have good days and I knew that I'd have bad days. And it was only until this year that I've learned how to squat properly and develop different muscles. And I would say, you know, I'm 42 now, I'm, I'm six foot, I'm 100 kilos, I'm, I'm very solid because I'm a former athlete. However, in the years that I did my sports, I would have never worked on my lower body correctly. So through persistence, through pain, and consistently looking for an answer, I eventually found a personal trainer here in Taiwan who's been able to help me develop my lower body. And so it's been coming up 42 years, and I've just finally fixed these hip problems. (laughs) So you've got to be relentless. And like I said before, you've got to brace for impact. And sometimes this impact is going to keep coming over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. But you just have to keep moving forward. And you've got to say to yourself, this too shall pass. Ah, oh, very good. Now, what type of an athlete were you? What did you do? I was a wakeboarder. So for the people who Ooh. don't know what wakeboarding is, it's a blend between surfing and snowboarding. And then it's a hybrid between water skiing. So it's like all mixed in together. And I started to water ski at age five. And then I started to train and compete at around about age 14 in the sport of wakeboarding. Uh, But it didn't come without its challenges. It didn't come without a couple of knee operations Mm. (laughs) on the way through. Oh, my goodness. So you are definitely very familiar with how to get back up when you fall down. So, And I know that you you use those skills that you learned to help business people a lot. So how uh, 
do business people sabotage their success? There's one great example. I was working with a gentleman years ago and he lost his way and he left the path and he ended up finding himself in bed with the wrong woman. Mm. And unfortunately for him, his wife came home and found him in bed with that woman. Now, she dragged him out of the bed by his ear and she dragged the other woman by the other and said, you better go home to your husband and I need to speak to my husband. Now, the wife said, we got into this marriage for better or for worse. And obviously, this is the section where it's worse. However, I'm not going to give up on you and we're going to fix and we're going to repair this damage. So they went through counselling. They ended up having children. But about 10 years later, he was still full of guilt. And he had this guilt and he didn't feel worthy of success. He didn't feel worthy of a good income. And he started to sabotage his own success. However, it was very subtle. He had the ability to make $100,000 a month. However, he had sabotaged his success and stopped himself from earning more than $50,000 a month. And it didn't matter what he did. He couldn't break through that barrier. And what he couldn't break through was that guilt that he had been holding onto. And he didn't feel deserving of a higher income because of the mistakes he made in the past. So he found a way to punish himself, and that was to cap his income. And it was very subtle with the sabotage. Nobody would have picked it up until he started to work with me. Now, how did he sabotage his success? He wouldn't call people back. Somebody would bring him an opportunity and he would turn a blind eye to it. He'd go into a presentation and he would know how not to close the sale. (laughs) He would know how to leave the conversation open and never close it and ask for the order. And it was every time that he got to 50,000, he would start to sabotage his success. But from zero to 50, you never saw it. But from 50 and beyond, the pattern showed up. Wow. And so so what did you do to help him? A lot of people, especially in business, they think, I've got to learn a new skill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they get caught up in learning this new skill, but they have limiting belief patterns that prevent them from getting a return on that skill. Mm-hmm. Business people also read books. They listen to podcasts. They go from seminar to training to coaching, and they get all of this good stuff, but it, they never get a return on it. So what we had to deal with with him was the root cause. The root cause was not his lack of knowledge. He knew it all. It wasn't a lack of skill. He had it all. We had to deal with the guilt. Mm -hmm. And so once we overcame the guilt, then he stopped sabotaging his own success. But the big breakthrough here, Heather, was that he realized he was punishing himself, but he didn't realize he was still punishing his wife 10 years later. So through overcoming the guilt, he gained a lot of motivation. He said, you know what, this this woman of mine, this girl of mine, she deserves the best. And within 90 days, he doubled his income from 50 to $100,000 per month and then remained consistent at 100,000, even at times creeping up to $120,000 per month. Wow, that's amazing. Are there some major fears and limiting beliefs that impact people? Uh, Are there uh, several that you can name that you think are across the board or more popular? (laughs) I'll give you all my personal ones. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I believe that there's four silent fears, and these fears are derived from our behaviors. 
the first business, the first one that I see in uh, business, especially with people who are career minded, is this fear of losing control. Mm-hmm. They have a fear of losing control, and a leader or a manager doesn't delegate because they're afraid of losing control. The business owner employs people, but he doesn't delegate and give them the authority to do the job. And so what we have there is we have this silent fear of losing control. The second one, and according to statistics in America, people would rather die than stand up and do public speaking. Now, it's not that public speaking is the enemy. Everybody knows how to talk. Everybody knows how to converse. The thing that gets in their way, it's the fear of criticism. Mm -hmm. And they're so afraid that if I stand up and I share my truth, somebody's going to judge me. So it's that fear of criticism. The third one I see, and this is really obvious coming through COVID-19, is that the world's changed rapidly. And there's been some personality types who love and thrive in this world of rapid change. But we have those other people who are really slow to change. And what they try to do is they try to steady their life. They try to get it stable and consistent. And so it's just the same day in, day out. Mm -hmm. And what causes that? It's a fear of losing their stability. And so instead of leaving the comfort zone, they get stuck in that comfort zone. Yeah. The fourth one, which is very obvious in a lot of professions, is people have a fear that they don't know enough. So they get paralysis via analysis. And they go from course to course, to book to book, to podcast to podcast. And they learn all this information. But when it comes time to applying it, They say, there's got to be something else to learn. I've got to get 110% right before I begin. And so they have this fear of not having enough information. And they're the four big fears that I believe all of us have to face, not just in our careers, but in our life. Mm, Yeah, those are definitely prevalent. So listeners out there, are you any of those resonating with you? (laughs) Now, I know that um, when I'm talking to some of my entrepreneurial or, or, you know, small to mid-sized business leaders, they've been talking a lot about hires, hiring people. Um, are there some, maybe some things that people can do to make better hires or maybe eliminate the risk of bad hires? Absolutely. Three words, trust in science. Mm-hmm. In today's world, and I love that introduction and the quote from Daniel Goleman, Mm-hmm. You know, based on the latest research that's coming out of Harvard and Stanford, they're saying that 95% of the adult population claim to be emotionally intelligent. Yet, the truth is only about 10 to 15% of people actually are. Mm-hmm. So, when we tend to do a traditional emotional intelligence quotient and measure somebody's emotional intelligence, it's a self assessment. And if you have a low level of emotional intelligence, you will most likely overrate your strengths and you won't know your limitations. So for example, I was working with a company and we were employing people and they're in their business. If they had a hiring mistake, then that hiring mistake would cost the business a million dollars. See, the worldwide average around the world, if you make a hiring mistake, it'll cost you five times that person's annual salary. So if the person's getting a $100,000 income and you get the hiring wrong, it'll cost your company $500,000 in lost time, energy, and resources. Mm -hmm. So 
what we know is that we have a lot of personal biases when it comes to hiring people. We see people who are like us and we go, oh, they're a winner just like me. They're super optimistic. They're drunk on optimism just like me. We need another Daniel. And if we have another Daniel, all our problems will be solved. <laughs> that couldn't be any further away from the truth. If you get another Daniel, you're going to get all of the same headaches. You're going to get all the same strengths. You're going to get all the same limitations. So instead of trusting ourselves and letting our biases get in the way, what the top companies are doing today is they're trusting in science and they're starting to hire based on attitude. And they're looking at people's attitude preferences. How do you solve problems and challenges? How do you influence people and contacts? How do you steady the pace and consistency of the environment? How do you handle policies and constraints? And instead of it doing it by the flip of a coin and just on your gut instinct, you bring in science. And when we utilize these science, we can reduce the risk of a bad hire by up to 93%. Mm. Wow. Well, that is very helpful information. So, you know, talking about kind of dipping our toes in um, EQ, emotional intelligence, do you think that that is what really helps to make people successful? This was what I was alluding to before. When I was at school, my IQ was high. It was. It was 130. It was a, it was a good IQ. However, I had a lot of fears, doubts, and limiting beliefs about my ability to learn. I'd convinced myself that I'm stupid. I'd convinced myself that I was dumb for a period of time, and I really believed it. But I also was internally conflicted because I knew I had something special. And that's what I was mentioning before. I had something special and they just couldn't measure it through aptitude. I had attitude. I had already developed resiliency. I had developed sporting abilities. I had been working as a paperboy. My first sales job started at age 11. So I could already make sales. I could get along with people who are older than me. And so all of that, as I got older, I realized that all of those skills that I had were based in emotional intelligence. I was actually self-aware. I knew my strengths and I knew my limitations. I could even manage my emotions because when you get that D on your report card, when you get that F, it's very easy to give up. But I still had that resilience and I'd keep moving forward. I also had that motivation. I had more than just school. I had my hobby, I had my passion of sports, I had goals to become an Australian champion athlete. So although I had to go to school at 8.30 and finish at 3.30, I still had the rest of the day to pursue my passions. Mm -hmm. I also was very empathetic. I could feel what other people were experiencing. I could read people's emotional makeup because Every day after school, I would go to my parents' business and I'd work in the business. I'd go and work in my grandmother's business. I'd go and work in my grandfather's business. So I was already having that ability to empathize with other people, read their emotional makeup. And then finally, I had learned at a young age to speak to other people. And my parents would always involve me in decision-making and conversations with their friends. So I had the ability to communicate and I could express my ideas in a way that people went, wow. So what got me through? What got me through was the emotional intelligence component. And then once I overcome a lot of those limiting beliefs at around about age 32, I actually realized that I was very smart and I had the ability to learn. I just had to relearn how to learn for my style. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say there are some people out there that are they're sitting there and thinking, okay, that all makes a lot of sense. But how do I figure out where I currently am with my emotional intelligence and how to improve it? What would you give them as a tip or suggestion? For me, trust in science. And that's where my big breakthrough came in. So in 2016, I was working with one of America's top psychologists and she introduced me to emotional intelligence assessments and she got me to complete this assessment I completed it was the first time I'd ever done one and I looked at the results and she debriefed me and I went oh my gosh do you have a video camera in my house have you been recording my conversations with my wife and what happened was using this science I was able to look at myself objectively I was able to have a look at my emotional strengths I was also able to look at my limitations. I was able to have a look at my personality style and how it matched with others and how it created conflict with with others. So it was in 2016 when I completed my first emotional quotient report and I quickly understood where I was in comparison to other people. Mm-hmm. I could see my strengths and I could see my limitations. And once I had that, I then had a blueprint and I knew exactly what to work on. And what I've heard in the past is people can major in minors. People can spend their entire lifetime working on a skill that doesn't help them move the needle towards the goal. And this is the frustrating thing. People say, I'm reading books. Yeah, you could be reading the wrong one for you. You could be taking all the courses, but you could be going to the wrong courses. So by using science, I was able to have a clear blueprint on each of these five key areas of emotional intelligence that I needed to work on. And the first thing, Heather, that I realized was that I had over-evaluated myself. (laughs) I had an inaccurate self-perception. It was like I was walking down the street thinking that I was seven foot tall, but in reality, I was only six foot. So I had to learn how to have a more accurate Mm self-assessment. And then I started to set the right goals for myself. And a lot of business people, they set goals that are too big for themselves. And it's another example of setting yourself up for failure. It's another way of sabotaging your own success. So I was able to quickly shift, have a more accurate self-assessment and set goals that I could actually achieve and feel good about rather than setting these big lofty goals, falling short and being disappointed. Wow. I mean, and I think that that is so helpful. And I've, I've also, I have some experience with uh, EQ as well. And those assessment tools are incredible. And, and you're right. Sometimes we have this self-view that needs to, to be tweaked a little bit based on the science. And it's very good to be able to learn where specifically we can improve and grow. Um, now, I know also that things like... Um, trauma or, you know, these fears and challenges that we've been talking about can lead to emotional hijacking. What do you have to say about that and how we can help people with that? Again, brace for impact. Mm. We have traumas throughout our life. And we know when we've had a trauma is because these traumas come totally unexpected. They come unannounced. They're always dramatic. And the moment they happen, we feel isolated from the world. And the reason why we feel isolated is because we don't have a coping mechanism to deal with the situation. 
So the way that our unconscious mind works is it takes this emotional memory and it represses it. It says, hey, Daniel, you don't have a resource to deal with this right now. So we're going to take this emotional experience and we're going to bury it over there and we're going to put it over there behind you where you put all that other stuff that you don't want to deal with. <laughs> and the unconscious mind represses it for your protection. And that's the key word. It represses it for your protection. It, the unconscious mind knows that, hey, Daniel, you can't handle this right now. You've got no coping mechanism. Now, all of our traumas, all PTSD or phobia, actually has its roots in the first seven years of our life. So at age zero to seven, you have these traumatic experiences. You may have bigger events, significant emotional events later on, but it always has its root cause in the first seven years of our life. But in the first seven years of our life, we haven't been taught coping mechanisms. And so throughout our lifetime, we then develop coping mechanisms. And once we have a resource or a coping mechanism, the job of the unconscious mind is to bring that repressed memory back up to the surface. And it normally brings it back up to the surface at the happiest time of your life. When everything's going really well, it goes, hey, Daniel, <laughs> Remember looks like this? everything's going good. Remember that? It's time to deal with it. And you go, no, not that. <laughs> go back back where you belong <laughs> and then we repress it again yeah. but it takes a lot of energy to repress that and it leads to all types of psychosomatic illness mm -hmm. and the, the latest research shows that at least 80 percent of illness is psychosomatic in nature and it does come from these traumatic memories of the past that we've repressed and we've now forgotten about them mm -hmm. and we haven't attended to them yet and so we have to bring ourselves to a time and place in life where we deal with those systematically. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. There's so much here, Daniel, and, and we've really gotten some amazing information from you, but I'm, I'm having a feeling that there are people out there that are going to want some more that are going to want to dive deeper. So can you please take a moment now to share how people can get a hold of you, ask you questions, if there's anything else that you'd like to share with them. In 2007, I lost my business. In 2008, I lost my career. In 2010, my wife was involved in an aircraft accident and she spent two and a half years in rehabilitation. In 2011, she wanted to end her life. In 2012, she lost her job at the same time as she was four months pregnant and she almost uh, miscarried three times. And then I resigned from my job, co-leading a team of 17,000 cabin crew in 2012. And we left our careers behind, we left our stability, and we went out into the big world to fend for ourselves. And we weren't prepared. And what happened was over the next following years, our life, instead of going up, 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 it went down, down, down. 2013, I was depressed. 2014, we're on government support because we've run out of money. And what was happening was that both me and my wife were going through a lot of emotional hijacks. I had left my career, but I had regret and resent. I was fearing the future. I was fearing the unknown. I was doubting and I was second guessing myself. And my life didn't get really good until I started to deal with the root cause of those fears, doubts and limiting beliefs. And once I did that, I had some huge wins. It was a real turning point in my life. Within a couple of years, my business grew. Within a couple of years after that, I had my highest income earning year. And last year, I served more than 2,222 people and showed them how to overcome their fears, doubts, and limiting beliefs. 
So if you've had a run of bad luck and it's time for you to turn and get your life going in the right direction, then I welcome you to come and join my Unleashed Masterclass. I hold it every Monday night here in Taiwan. That's normally Sunday evening or early hours of Monday morning in America. And you can come to my website and it's called unleashedmasterclass.com. And I'm going to show you what me and my clients are doing to overcome our fears, doubts and limiting beliefs and to break through that negativity so we can start to smash our goals faster. Mm, that's great. And, and listeners, don't worry if you're driving, we will make sure to put that link into the show notes for you, along with some additional information about Daniel. Daniel, thank you so much for your time and your stories and your inspiration today. Do you have any final parting, word in, parting words of wisdom for us today? Four words. This too shall pass. Mm. Just remember that. Everything comes, everything goes. The tide goes out, the tide goes in. You will be fine. <laughs> this too shall pass. Excellent. Oh, I totally agree with that one. Thank you again. And listeners, if you love the show, make sure to share it with a friend. Sharing time's a happy time. And I will see you next week. 